We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2021 Waste Management Phoenix Open DraftKings Picks and Preview. If you have not subscribed to Daily Fantasy Picks, and Beth, Daily daily Fantasy Sports, Picks and Bets, The Mix. Yeah, what are you doing? If you subscribe to it right now and leave a five-star review with your Twitter handle or email address on Apple Podcasts, you earn a draw for 100 American dollars. And there might be more than one draw, so I suggest you go do that. It takes you 30 seconds, you could win 100 bucks. It's good ROI on your time, because you're probably just listening to this anyway. You can do it while you listen to this show on your Apple Podcasts app. So please go do that. Also, smash the like button for the episode in the comment section. Give me your two favorite $6,000 plays on DraftKings this week. And the Pat Mayo Experience Listeners League link is in the description of the video and podcast. Almost full already, so I suggest you go get your spot right now. Even if you don't have a team to fill out yet, just go reserve your spot and you'll be good to go. All stats are provided by FantasyNational.com. Go to FantasyNational.com slash Mayo right now for 20% off all the tools, all the stats, the most custom customizable golf stat engine on the planet. 
And it has the simulator, the ownership projections, everything you need to get yourself going. FantasyNational.com slash mail. I've been on like a old school wrestling kick so far this week. And I've been thinking about jumping back in. I have no real interest in like new wrestling. But you know, stuff I've already seen as a nostalgia type play. My kids aren't quite old enough to get into it yet. So I might just leave that for, you know, when they're both three or three and four. That maybe we can start getting them into like late 80s, early 90s, mid 90s wrestling. But it inspired me to reach out to a guest that today I'm going old school Conan WCW some Odale Ariba Benraza. What's going on, man? I don't know <laughs> anything about wrestling at all. Like Adam Slate to the extreme. I don't know what you just said. I don't is that good or bad? That's good. I, I enjoyed Conan. He was, he was kind of a he was kind of a scrub, but you know, that, that's well, what we talk about cool. on the show. We we only that, back that scrubs. Is, yeah, that's that is the theme of the show, but uh Old school wrestling. Okay, that's not where I thought this was going to start, but we'll see where it ends. No, it's only because I referred to... Actually, you have no context for this, but I referred to Patrick, I don't. Patrick Reed and Jordan Spieth as Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty on Monday's show. So you can see one guy, he gets elevated. The other guy, who, who knows what's going to happen to him? He's going to be wrestling on the independence in Corn Fairy Spieth soon. Yeah, times are tough for... Uh, well, we got a lot of that in this field. There's, there's a handful of course horses that are teetering on the edge of being relevant so one course history versus uh recent form it's going to be the ever ever ending battle this week well we got that a bit last week with xander and oh he's missed four or five cuts at tory pines no way he could ever be good boom he comes in second place we had that last year at this event where tony finau i think had missed the cut every time he had played in phoenix and then he loses in a playoff this stuff is so fucking overblown oh yeah i mean the sample size especially for for a lot of these tournaments I mean, some of these guys, it's like they've got three missed cuts, and that's three years. That's nothing. Like, you, you want to play – if a guy's played it 15 years, but even then he's such a different player. So, yeah, naturally overblown. I find myself getting sucked into it when I want to justify a play, but uh, I'm, I'm more with you than not. I think it actually means a little bit more for, like, your mid-tier or lower-tier type golfer because it does show somewhat of a course fit. If they have played it over an extended period of time, it's no guarantee that they'll be good this time around. But I look at someone like Brennan Steele, for example, here, who has a really mixed history of really good performances, really bad performances, but he's coming in playing really well in terms of ball striking, couldn't make a putt the last time we saw him, but the driving and irons were excellent that, you know, he's someone that I could potentially take a gamble on this week, and I don't think I'm going to be alone in that, just because his recent form is good coming in. Plus, he has these spikes of course history where it's not every single year, but when he does tend to play well in Phoenix, it's really good. Yeah, I mean, it, there's definitely something to that. I, I think one of the more overblown things is when people attach like how a course is going to play when Rom wins or JT. Like those guys, it doesn't matter. They can just win anywhere. There are certain courses and certain guys. They only have a handful of opportunities each year to cash a big time check because some of the courses they're just not competitive at. So uh, I think this is one of those. I like the slightly smaller field. This is one of my favorite. I, I love this event. I've always liked it. I love this event, too. And before we jump into the course, I want to talk about the slate because the, for the first few weeks, not to say that I'm doing great by any means, uh, I'm up on DraftKings, although I did not win all the monies last week. I lost slightly both in betting and on DraftKings. My $100 team bailed out the $200 team that I put in. I do the 200 okay. it, it really sucks because the last two weeks, my $100 single entry team has been awesome and my $200 team has not cashed. But I only reviewed the $200 team on the Sunday show. <laughs> it's just a minus, minus, minus. It sucks. So hopefully 
hopefully I can end up coming through in that. But I've had a really good grasp, I feel, like what I wanted to do at least. At least in my mind, I felt very comfortable with the DraftKings slate throughout the first four weeks. Not so much the Tournament of Champions, because that's just a small field. But Sony, Amex, Farmers, I felt good. My lower-end plays, they've been coming through. They've been making the cut. uh, And I've been doing okay. I look at the slate this week, and I can't figure it out for the life of me of where I want to start, what I want to do. Usually we try to make the pro cases and the con cases for a lot of these guys, but I'm having a really hard time finding con cases to a lot of these players. Yeah, I mean, this this does kind of have a... Listen, Farmers is a good feel, but I don't know. This has a different vibe. You've got five north of 10K, and to me, five pretty damn reason why... You can always justify those type of guys, but it's not just them. Even as you work down, the thing that I was struck with, normally I have a lean of... It's going to be mostly stars and scrubs or mostly balanced this week. I see a, a strong case for either type of build. I, I feel very comfortable starting at the top with Rom. I feel comfortable making teams starting with like Burger though. So there's a lot of different permutations right off the bat. That makes it difficult, but also kind of exciting. I kind of want to go stars and scrubs here, looking at the very top of this field, because I find that there are $6,000 plays that I'm very comfortable with. But then I even I tweeted out on Monday evening that there's this range at like, where does it start? It starts at Bjorn, no, it starts at Russell Knox at $7,200. And then all the way down, all the 72s, all the 71s are like, oh, those are guys I play every week. This is great. I'm just going to lose all my money here. Yeah, that's that's a danger, a danger zone. Uh, I mean, when you when you say stars and scrubs, are you anticipating two north of 10? I think so. That's what I played last. Like all my good lineups last week were Rory Rom lineups. And obviously Mm -hmm. those guys didn't win. But the construction that led me to because I was good in the six thousand dollar region that, you know, you get list through, you get Haggy through, you get Will Gordon through and then you have another eight thousand dollar guy. So a lot of my teams were a mix of like those three guys, uh, maybe up to Straka in some spots. I used Brem in a couple lineups, but not very many. He ended up missing the cut. Um, And the other one, like I use like Zalatoris and Ryan Palmer in that third spot. And just the way that that construction went down, it got me away from a lot of landmines. Um, and so it was just lucky lineup construction with the way that it ended up working out because I did jam in two high-end guys. But if you feel comfortable in the 6K region and a higher propensity of players make the cut this week versus last week with only 132 players in the field versus 156, but the same top 65 in ties, I'd be inclined to do that. The issue is, is like when I built my first line, I've only built one lineup so far and all the guys in like the eights I like. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so then that's where it can be interesting because you're you're obviously there's an opportunity cost no matter what you do. There's a ton of reasonable names in the sixes, but that doesn't mean I don't know. I, I always try to experiment. Not that this is like groundbreaking, but I, I just feel like when people naturally like the six K range, they start to look immediately to the top of the board. You can also have builds where it, it means you take like four guys from the upper eights. And then two guys down there. And that's just like a a weird looking lineup. But those can be effective if you can survive the win equity that you sacrifice up top. But are you really sacrificing that much? Sure, like Rom, Xander, JT, Rory. But like, what would you say like Brooks's win equity is this week? Uh, better than he's like 50 something to one. Um, I, I bet I bet Brooks at 54 to one. Yeah, like to me, that's a little much. That's the range that I'm talking about, though. Like uh, Scheffler, to me, is a true wild card. I kind of like him. We Wolf can turn it on and off instantly. I mean, Ricky's a whole different case, but you've got those type of players. They have win equity, and if you start there, if you hit the right one, 
now you're really dialed in. And obviously there's a lot that still has to fall your way, but that's the kind of build that I think could be really effective here. All right, well, let's jump into the course. It's not quite as long as the South course last week. TPC Scottsdale, a bunch of long par fours, eagleable par fives, a drivable par four at number 17. Obviously the stadium course, we're going to have fans back for the first time ever. I got some inside info on the course if you want to hear it. Always. So number 18 has that huge lake uh, that you have to go over or play to the right of. And usually there are grandstands all the way up the left. However, there are no grandstands over the lake this time around. So the person at the course who told me this being like, it might be a free for all off the T on 18 and people might just try to drive the green. Cause if you miss left, it's not that big of a deal. You don't hit it hmm. into the people, uh, into the grandstands and have to take a penalty. That is interesting. I mean, it, I think it leads into the pretty obvious narrative that you can be aggressive off the tee here. You can get away with a lot pending. You're not in like the cactus or whatever. I don't know what goes on in Arizona, but uh, the rough isn't that, punishable so maybe that's one more data point where you can you can really try to be aggressive off the tee i think that's the way that i might want to play it here <laughs> the weird thing is looking back at the winners of the events even if you throw it like kevin stadler who won i think in 2013 2014 it's pretty like class players who win this event not like the upper echelon like we saw last week where it's like day and rose and then you put into the context of when these guys won that it's like oh yeah these guys were like top five players in the world and you see patrick reese top 10 player in the world he ends up winning tiger for so many years wins at the farmers insurance open but like webb hideki twice ricky brooks gary woodland like these are all good players there's no like random loser who just tends to pop up like she has almost one but then he didn't but he was also in the midst of a very good run at that point he competed at the u.s open that year he won the tra or was that the year after that he won travelers either way Shez was in a good run i just thought it was interesting that you, know, you don't see your i don't know jb holmes has won this twice i suppose but like streelman <laughs> hasn't guy. won or joel damon or one of those guys that and that's why i'm very curious about this eight thousand dollar range that it's not like the super elites that win here it's like the tier two elites that win here yeah i think it just speaks to how many of them there are like they outnumber like four to one amongst those big five there's 20 guys that to me have reasonable, I mean, it's not sizable, of course, but like they can get in the mix if they won the event. I wouldn't be like, wow, I uh, can't believe that. These, these are pretty good players. They're probably just not in the best form or, you know, not as consistent as the top end. But yeah, even when you go down to that, what you're talking about, you've got guys like Bubba, Henley, Siwoo, Harmon. Th those are all mid-range plays this week. Those guys can easily get in the mix, though. I think this is the first time I've ever seen this happen. I'm looking at the Fantasy National simulator right now. So it runs the event a thousand times and spits out winners for you. And the top five guys in the win simulation are the five guys above $10,000. I don't think I've ever seen that before. And that speaks to why I think you're saying like, you know, if everything is in line, it makes it very difficult. If the pricing and the win equity and everything is say perfect, which obviously it's not, but if it seems that way, it makes it very hard to find the leverage so you have to be creative with lineup construction because there's not a guy that's like, oh, this guy's going to be 3% owned. I like him more than everybody else. I'm going to start there. I feel pretty much in line with what I think the field is going to do up top. And that, I mean, that's fine, but it doesn't create any edge. So let's get into the $10,000 guys. Then if you want to start above $10,000, you're looking at Rom, Xander, JT, Rory, and Webb. I don't think that there's a safer play and now he's going to go and miss the cut and shoot like 80 or something but Xander I believe in his past 24 tournaments has come inside the top 25 22 of those times like at your $11,000 although he's not winning at all 
that he is returning value almost every single week because he's, he's finished inside the top five in five of the past seven tournaments. Yeah, he's also, this is not a real step, but it should be. He's made the cut on the number, I think, in every tournament. He makes the cut on the number, and then he comes in second. I don't understand this guy. Uh, Xander is very good. I'm a noted Xander hater, I guess you could call it. I, I just, I don't know. His, his ball striking, his tee to green is fantastic. He putted really well. On top of that, last week, for me, the safest guy would be Rom. Uh, just loves, you know, five for five here. All very good showings. Arizona State guy. The back is fine. The new clubs or whatever it seems to be fine. It's $200 more. I would go to Rom if I had, you know, if I was just taking best available. So I think that if you can get tricky with your ownership this week, uh, and this feels like a very big game theory week with just kind of how you spelled it out that, you know, the pricing lines up with the win equity at the very top almost exactly. So you know what you're getting when you get into it and you want to take one of these top end players that, Am I just a sucker if I go back to Rory? No. Well, I mean, look, you're talking. No. Uh, Rory, I mean, he's the, so he has one thing that I don't think is a huge deal. He has not played here. Um, it's just the same story with him. You can look at it two ways. I've been saying this for a while now, and, and when you're this good, this is starting to be a problem. But, you know, Rory was fine last week. He gained across the board. He was in the hunt, and he had a bad Sunday again. Uh, he was good in Abu Dhabi, but it was kind of that same story. So I, I feel extremely comfortable with him. I guess my question to you is, are you getting any sort of ownership discount by going to Rory? I, I don't know if you do. I think this week you will, just because all okay. the other big names who have been playing better and anyone who used Rory last week felt scorned by the way that he finished. And I felt worse. I mean, if Rory's in it, he's going for it. I talked about this with Jeff, where he's only really concerned about winning. He's not too concerned about coming in second. Uh, so he's either going to go for it or he's going to fall back by going for it. And when you start, when he starts driving it out of bounds and he's the best driver of the ball in the world, then you got some problems uh, and you know that he's pressing it a little bit, but it was Saturday that pissed me off with Rory. It felt like he hit every right. green regulation. It felt like he had a 17 foot putt on every hole. Not that I expect him to make all the 17 foot putts, but you know, make one of them. That would be nice. He made one putt over three feet on Saturday. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. That's the Paul Casey. Um, it's, it's very bad. I, yeah, we're, like I said, Rory, the game is in good shape. It's just uh, he's been knocking on the door a lot, and he's too good to not be winning some of these. Uh, kind of like the putts. He, should he be winning all of these? No, but when you're in contention time and time again, you got to find a way to finish here. And it seems like, you know, JT, Rom, not Xander lately, but like th those guys, when they're there, they close the door more often than not. So if there's an ownership discount, I feel extremely comfortable, honestly, with any of the four. Webb is fine. I have no problem with him, but I, I would put him fifth. I think that you're going to see most of the ownership gravitate to one of the top two guys, whether it be Rom, whether it be Xander, or some combination of those two. And I don't think you're going to get a huge ownership discount. I'm looking at the ownership percentages right now on Fantasy National, and it's early. So how many lineups have been generated so far? Only 3,000 lineups have been generated so far. That's going to be like 30,000 by the end of the week. So you have a much better sample. It'll give you a much clearer picture the longer that you wait on this. You allow the sample to build itself up, and it's a bit more accurate. But right now, Rory's coming by far the lowest owned of these five guys. Not that he's like 1%, but he's like 12%. No. Yeah, and that, that would be, I mean, if you're going to tell me, and the betting market would bear this out. Like, you know, Rom and these guys against Rory in a head-to-head, they may be favored, but it's not going to be drastic. If you're getting half the ownership, that's appealing. I will probably get over on Rory. Uh, I will probably try to pair Rory with 
ROM and deploy, you know, what you talked about last week. There's a lot of guys down low that, that can make up salary quickly. How do you feel like people are going to approach Webb, the defending champion this week? He could not miss a putt at Sony, and somehow he didn't win against that field. And then the week before at Tournament of Champions, he couldn't drive the ball to save his life. So he hasn't had all four facets of his game firing at any point so far in 2021, but it seems like Webb has a couple of places where he just plays really, really, he plays well everywhere, but a couple of places he can get really over the hump. This feels like one of those places. Yeah, and it makes sense because, you know, some of his struggles off the tee he can get away with, Great irons, great putter. You got to make putts here. Uh, you know, fast Bermuda. I, I get it. It's not, you know, again, these are these are guys are the top five for a reason. For him, though, I, I, I take the savings. There's guys in the nines that I'd rather go to. I think fit ju- not just as good, but close to just as good. And for me, I'd rather find the money to go up or go down. So that leaves Justin Thomas at 10-8. And the yeah, ownership, the ownership projections will show him as very high. I feel like he's almost like a reverse Xander in some ways, where Xander's <laughs> always projected at one level, and then he comes in five, six percent higher almost every single time. It's like people tell themselves and tell people that they're not playing Xander, and then when they fill out their lineups, they do play him. And Justin Thomas weirdly feels the opposite way, where you just look at the stats like, oh, he's number one. Of course I'm going to play him. Then it gets down to it's like, nah, I'd rather play Xander instead of playing JT, or I'd rather play Rory instead of playing JT. So if I haven't projected like 17%, all of a sudden he's like 13%. He's the lowest owned of the five. He just seems to have a lot of volatility because no one likes Justin Thomas. No one dislikes Justin Thomas. People just don't have opinions about Justin Thomas. Yeah, this is true. I- I'm guilty of that. There's a lot of weeks where I'm just like, well, he's just amazing. You put a wedge in his hand, he's unstoppable. And then I look at my exposures. It's just like, how did I get 6% of him? And then he's quite good. I I will say, when I say I don't play Xander, then I actually don't play him uh, and I get punished. But that's neither here nor there. I have no, I mean, it's what you just said. I was about to say, I don't really have a strong take on JT. I think he's fine. I think he's great, great player. As we all know, he's unstoppable on the approach. I'm going to have some. I just don't know if I get major leverage just because he is just kind of there at 10-8. It seems pretty accurate with where he should be. Yeah, and then I'm looking at Rom. I mean, maybe maybe Rom just is the play. Just go with him. He's never finished worse than 14th at this tournament. Yeah, he was good at. I mean, he was good as an amateur here. He was good in his four appearances as a pro here. He he's built for this course. He's also just very very good in life. I I feel extremely comfortable with him. But that's not you know you're paying 11 too. You should feel comfortable. Does it strike you as odd that Xander Shoffley is the leading putter on the PGA Tour over the past 24 rounds? No, it doesn't strike me out at all because this is what I'm talking about. What you see, the voodoo. Um, I, I don't understand that. I, is he that good of a putter? I would say no, but it, this is what happens. He doesn't even strike it well, and he still comes in second. And then he does strike it well, and he comes also in second. I don't, I don't really understand. Xander's results and his play don't correlate to me. It's very disturbing. It's, it's just so funny that we label Fina with this tag of can't win, can't win, can't win. And he does have one win. But Rory and Xander, and I will even throw Hideki into that mix too now. Like, they're approaching that point where they're there almost, not so much Hideki as the other two, but they're there every single Sunday and they don't win. Like, when was the last time, uh, well, Rory, yeah, I mean, when was the last time Rory won? Was it the Canadian Open? I, I don't know. It wasn't last year. In um, Xander's last win was the Tournament of Champions in 2019, so the first week of 2019. 
Yeah, Rory won that tour championship, but like he didn't, you know, that thing. I don't know when his last like actual tournament win was, though. Maybe he got like um, a one overseas somewhere. Yeah, that's possible. It's, I mean, Hideki hasn't won since Bridgestone. That was like a million years ago. Yeah, the um, art, uh, tour championship, he was the low, the WGC HSBC champions in 2019 in China? in China was Rory's yeah. last win. Yeah, it's been far too long. Um, I mean, generally, I think that stuff is somewhat overblown, but uh, it it is something, I guess. It's it's a data point. I, I just don't know. I don't know. That's That's obviously another hot debate in like the industry, just in life, like is closing the door a thing or is it just variance? Do, do some guys actually win more than others or will, will the wins start coming for Finau and, and Rory again? I, I think it's a weird data point for a lot of people because so few people are actually build up enough of a sample to actually measure that. But like Patrick Reed is kind of becoming that guy. Well, he, I mean, he just thrives, you know, all he needs to do is create controversy and then he's just, he is built for that there's no doubt about it um Bryson to an extent but yeah Reed, Reed does have something and certain guys definitely do I just I, for Fino in particular not that he's not even the tournament so he's not relevant but like there's a lot of uh, Sundays where I don't think he particularly lost the tournament he just didn't win it uh and to me that's different like he's not blowing leads he's just playing pretty well and someone's playing outstanding yeah 9k range owner of the course Hideki Matsuyama is overpriced slightly at $9,800, but he does have two wins here, so you overlook that. That's getting baked in a little bit. Berger, Sungjae, Harris English, Ryan Palmer, Scotty Sheff, and Will Zalatoris at $9,000. I only have two of these guys with a star next to their name right now. Even though he's massively overpriced, I don't think I can get away from playing Ryan Palmer because I keep playing him and he keeps being good for me. Uh, and any course where Rom is good, uh, in my mind, that Ryan Palmer is just randomly going to be good as well because they're the new Kevin Chapel and Jason Day. Uh, whenever one plays well, the other one tends to... Not, I mean, Rom plays well far more often, but just if you see... J before you, you see Jason Day at the top of leaderboards, like, oh, Chapel's in fourth. And you're yep. seeing that with Rom and Ryan Palmer right now, too. Tony Finau is the other corollary to them that the three of those guys uh, can all just really play well on the same week. It's more just a testament to there are certain courses, I think, where Ryan Palmer just has it figured out like these guys. Yeah, I, the thing about Ryan Palmer is obviously, especially at Farmers, uh, he is putting out of his mind and that is of course pretty atypical he's still striking it well it's not nearly as well as we saw uh earlier and to close the swing season so i have no problem you know if people are buying to kind of continue that i wasn't really on there to begin with i'm not looking to jump on i would rather go to burger who uh i don't know he's another one he's just playing good golf and it's been like that for quite a while now Berger, strangely enough, I went back and looked at the strokes gain stats from this tournament last year. He was the one who couldn't strike the ball and did everything on the greens, which I thought was kind of strange. Berger, I have projected as the highest owned player right now, which I thought was a yeah, bit odd, but uh, I guess the distribution between Berger and Matsuyama is going to be really large. No one is using Scotty Scheffler, and very few people are using Harris English this week, a guy who sunk my $200 lineup. I know you're a noted Harris English fan, Ben, but... Doesn't yeah. it seem like a spot for him? Nice rebound? I mean, I guess it's closer because at least he won't be like 40% owned. Uh, 
Still probably not. I, I, listen, you just named two guys. I'm, I'm going to speak to the other one. I really like Scotty Scheffler. I bet Scotty Scheffler to win the tournament. Uh, shot 65 on Thursday, shot 79 on Friday. I don't know what to really make of that. He obviously had some putting issues. That's still no excuse. This is just a guy though when he gets going, particularly off the tee, which has been bad uh, in this very small sample size, he is a dangerous, dangerous player. And coming off what we saw last week, to me, missing the cut like that is much better than just missing the cut traditionally. I would rather see my guy go crazy low and then implode than just be like pretty average for the two days. Yeah, oh, so you can just take Keegan Bradley at the same time? Yeah, that's why I play Keegan. Um, Scheffler to me is just, these guys, it's that same range. Wolf, Hovland, who's not here, Morikawa to a lesser extent, Zalatoris, I guess, when we see this long-term, they're going to have some head-scratching results in there, and then they're going to blow a field or two away during the year. And I, I think that Scheffler this week uh, is, is extremely dangerous. If he's low owned and he's going to be, I'm definitely getting over. Yeah. English Palmer and Scheffler seem to be the odd men out in the nine K range. Uh, and I'm curious to see how the, a lot of these builds go. I think you might see a cap on how highly owned someone is, unless there's just a lot of rally behind one person. Cause a lot of people are going to make Rom burger lineups or Xander Matsuyama or Rom Sungjae or Justin Thomas, Rory Zalatoros or something like that. And just leave these other guys by the wayside. So they might all come in in the single digits when all is said and done. Sungjae is really interesting one for me at this course that's what i'm saying like i like all of them and i'm finding it really hard to scratch the names off because again once we get past this level into the eights like i don't know i don't think that ryan palmer is on the level of these other guys in terms of overall skill but he's just playing so well right now that i might just try to ride the heater listen there's certainly nothing you know when these guys get going we've seen it i mean harris english's done it for like a year um some guys just play a, a above the above water for a while and, and they'll regress eventually but that doesn't mean you can't buy to me a lot of that is ownership dependent though like if the masses catch up and the price is up there it becomes very difficult where you could play like who's gonna play usti literally only me like am i the only person on the site you and all you and ulrich will definitely play usti. okay he's cu- he's cuss one and done really yeah that's okay well, he, good, well, he tried to pick Finau, and then he found out that Finau wasn't playing. Should have stuck with it. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's, I don't know. Usti's one of those guys. Brooks is there. Wolf, like, th- this is the range. I know we talked about this at the top of the show. not saying these guys are safe, and I'd honestly think that there could be a miscut or two within there, but the winner could come from this little range right here. I think that's actually really possible. So the 8Ks, when we it kicks off with Louis, I just I thought it was surprising how highly priced he was versus some of these other guys. So Same. Louis, Brooks, Wolf, Bubba, Horschel, Woodland, Henley, see, woo, Brian Herman. Those are your 8Ks. Like I, I, the team that I built, I think, is like Palmer, Brooks, Wolf, Bubba, Fowler, and like someone in like the mid-7s or like low-7s. I think that was my team. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You can take a lot of guys. You, you sacrifice the top, but you get three, four, even five guys that are that like second or I guess you could call them second or third tier who at times have belong in the 10K, just not consistently. I mean, how many times has Brooks been up there? I know he's seemingly not the same player right now. Wolf, I don't know. Are you worried about him at all or do you think he just gave up? I'm not sure. And I think the ownership will try to bear that. I'm going to try to do some more digging in on that this week, but do I even love him at this course, though? I think I do. I, I love him at every course, and no one's going to use him here. That 
That's you can play the chalkiest lineup ever and then just use Matthew Wolf and you'll be fine. Yeah, and I, I mean, Wolf is, to me, the, the poster boy of, like, he's going to have some bad results. And then when he gets going, we've seen this at majors now. It's not just these made-up events in, like, Detroit or wherever that is. When he gets going, it's unstoppable. Uh, and he can turn it on at seemingly any time. That's always going to be appealing when you're trying to beat 150,000 people. And let's see, he did not putt well last year. He played this as an amateur and came 50th two years ago, gained off the tee and both lost on approach. But his approach has been really good recently, even like through these struggles. The approaches have been really good. It's his driving that sucked, which is really weird. Because we changed drivers and all of a sudden he can't drive the ball. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously weird. It's obviously concerning. But to me, that's also, again, somewhat appealing because the stats are all there. They're just not lining up. Like his irons are good. So off the tee is a little out of control. His around the green is always weak. That's probably the biggest concern. The putter randomly pops. When you have all these things, when you mix it together, you can get an extremely volatile player, which is what he is. That's better than someone who's just going to, like Billy Ho. Now Billy Ho is going to win. But in theory, Billy Ho is just like doing his thing. Uh, I don't know. He's a lot less appealing to me in this range. No one's going to use Billy Horschel in this range at all. Yeah, I think he for gained. Good reason. I think he gained nine strokes putting at Sony for his top ten. I used him that week, and I was very happy that I got some potluck with him. But he just reverted back into Billy Horschel. He's one of those players, a lot like Patrick Reed in a way, where you look at his stats from like the past two weeks, you're like what is going on with this guy? But then all of a sudden he shows up and he's a completely different player. Horschel's like the minor league version of that. Yeah, it's frustrating. Um, he also, uh, to his credit, when he putts, he really putts. Uh, and that's another intoxicating thing. I just, you can't have, you can't play everybody. And I mean, I, I like those guys who are definitely more tournament specific plays right above him. Ricky, I mean, I, I mean, obviously am not. I, I bet Ricky you, too. You're in? Yeah, I bet him. You bet Ricky. That's something that I would normally do. Yeah. Um, I mean, he hasn't, well, he, he won. His last win was definitely here, was it not? It was here or Honda. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I vividly remember him when he won here. That was quite a Sunday. When he was melting down? Yeah, he was melting down, and then the Rams just lost the Super Bowl. But um, it was quite his, his stats, it's funny that for as popular as Ricky is, and I'm usually a big-time Ricky hater. I really never really like him, but it seems like he's figuring something out Tita Green. He can't putt. And that is the thing I'm always least concerned about with Ricky. The fact that he's driving it well, he's hitting his irons well, his around the green game has been rejuvenated once again, but it's the irons more than anything because when his struggle started, he just couldn't hit an iron to save his life. You see at the Amex, that's over three rounds. He comes 21st. He gains 1.6 strokes on approach against the field. Last week at the Farmers, a place where he really doesn't play well ever, gains 1.4 strokes on approach over those three rounds. He lost almost four strokes putting last week ricky very rarely loses four strokes putting well we're gonna find out because waste management is his domination and it's on the green so last six times here he's gained two and a half strokes putting or more uh he gained nine and a half when he won here the guy puts every time here so if if he's going it's kind of like hideki with the irons hideki's gained five strokes on the approach here in six straight years uh if if ricky can't putt here that's a serious problem if he can and he pairs it with what's obviously improvement tita green maybe you do have something i think it's worth it if you're ever gonna take a shot on him it's like if i could find deeper odds on matsuyama i would probably 
take it as well. Just, you know, they, they have the experience here. Uh, we've seen multiple champions at this course over the years. So the three bets I have in, strangely enough, Brooks at 54 to 1, Ricky at 50 to 1 with the top five along with it, and the other one's Bubba Watson at 50 to 1. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the range that I'm... Scheffler is a 50 to 1, uh, and that's who I bet. Um, I like that range of guys. Wolf is 60 to 1. I didn't bet him, but like... These are the type of players. I almost feel like they're they're kind of I don't want to say auto bets, but at these type of prices, they just win seemingly randomly. They just have so much firepower. I forgot about the other corollary, the Bryson Wolf corollary, where they're not yeah. they're not afraid to come one two in tournaments. Usually with Bryson at one and Wolf at two. Yeah, that's the extreme corollary. Where is Bryson? Uh, he's in Saudi. That field is stacked. Yeah, danger. I forgot he was over there. Good, good on Jason Kokrak for getting that Saudi money. <laughs> I mean, good on him for not being here, so I don't have to deal with it. Uh, yeah, uh, that's another good field. But this is where, what are you doing with Siwoo? Uh, he's lost more strokes than any player at this course over the past five years. He's the worst player in this field at this course somehow. <laughs> well, good. That makes it easy. I don't, he's been fantastic. I mean, just in life, I had him at Amex. That was quite good, as did a lot of people. Yeah, wow, he really has. No wonder I haven't stumbled upon his name as much. Holy God. Yeah, it's it's really bizarre how poorly he's played at this course. You'd think this would be a really good course for him because it does reward. Like, good around the green players tend to do really well here because you can chip in on a lot of these greens. And just, maybe the speeds throw him off. I don't know. And it's like a lot of players who have done well at Sawgrass over time and other TPC courses have played really well here. Obviously, he's done that. Hasn't played well here. I don't know. what it, Maybe he hates Phoenix. Yeah, maybe it's something. Maybe it's nothing. Um, kind of interesting, but I, I have a feeling that people won't dig as much and he will get almost too much ownership based on that court history the wrong way. Like people will just play him because he's, you know, had a win recently. It's just stable. I like the guys a couple hundred dollars cheaper than him. Well, the one guy, and I don't know what his ownership is going to come in at, because I was thinking that he'd be sneaky. But then I thought he's never sneaky is Russell Henley. Russell, I don't know what to do with him. He killed me. He, he it, two weeks ago. Why, why is it that he and Harris English feel so out of place amongst these guys? Because they, I mean, the thing about Russell Henley that confuses me is his price wildly deviates. Like he's sometimes 9,700 in fields like this, and then he's 7,400, then he's 8,200. His irons obviously are fantastic, but then it, like he does things like Amex where it's just very blah, misses a cut, and you're just like, why am I backing this guy? Uh, I, I, he's a tough one, I'll be honest. I don't have a strong take on him. I think I would just rather find the guys in the upper there's a couple guys in the upper sevens that i really like okay so we're we're fading Herman then too yeah i i just pretend that he's not there and hope hope for the best yeah i mean Be unless fine. he plays in like the weakest of weak fields like the amex he's not probably gonna get a top 10 so this episode is brought to you by magic spoon do you love cereal 
I used to when I was a kid, and then I stopped eating cereal for the longest time. I had to give it up because I realized it was full of sugar, and I didn't really want to start my day off with a bunch of sugar. I wanted to eat something that was, you know, healthy and didn't make me feel like garbage 20 minutes later. But I've actually gotten back into cereal lately, both in the morning and then as like an evening snack in between. You know, when I get home, I don't always eat lunch, and I, boom, pile some magic spoon in my mouth. I'm feeling good because I've been trying to cut down on carbs and sugar and just unhealthy food in general because, you know, I'm on camera. I don't want to have sugar-bloated face the entire time. And I realized I really couldn't eat anything anymore. And with the new year, I was trying to eat better. But healthy breakfast doesn't have to be boring all the time. Magic Spoon has the amazing flavors you love, but without all the bad stuff. So when I talk about my breakfast routine, sometimes, you know, I'm on the go and I stop in here, I stop in there, grab a breakfast sandwich, and I really actively stop doing that. Or... When I stopped doing that, I just didn't eat anything for breakfast at all. I didn't start my metabolism, and sometimes that's not always the best. I mean, you you don't need to eat breakfast at 5 o'clock in the morning, but you should have something to kick off your day, and Magic Spoon really does it for me because it's very quick. I can have it immediately as soon as I get hungry at any time throughout the day and really enjoy it. Zero sugar, 11 grams of protein, only three net grams of carbs in each serving. Comes in four flavors, coca, fruity, frosted, and more. And it tastes amazing. Honestly, it's too good to be true. Plus, it's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. I've been pounding back the frosted, and I got to tell you, it's pretty good. I think you should try it out. So go to magicspoon.com slash mayo to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use one of our promo codes, aka promo code mayo at checkout to save five dollars off your order and magic spoon is so confident in their product it's backed with a 100 percent happiness guarantee so if you don't like it for any reason they'll refund your money no questions asked that's magicspoon.com slash mayo and use the code mayo m-a-y-o to save five dollars we thank magic spoon for sponsoring this podcast the upper Good. sevens the two stars that I have right now are Connors and Homa, but I'm not alone in that. Everyone likes those two guys this week. Yeah, uh, Homa certainly is doing a lot that I like. He played well. At, I liked him a lot last week. Can I, solid. He can I interest you in a potential 1% owned Jason Day? That's where I'm going. Yeah, you, you absolutely can. Around the green game, his game is all over the place. It's a big mess. He has no real history here. Obviously, I'm worried that he's just, I mean, he, he's not looking good. He was not good, but it's Jason Day, and he's no one is going to play him. We've seen him once. Like, I, I'm not overly concerned just yet. Uh, him and Burns, I don't know where Burns' ownership will be. Um, I got Burn, I Burnsy at 15%, Connors at 17%, Home at 12%, Jason Day at 1.4% right now. This, yeah, I mean, come on. Uh, Homa, definitely worth the ownership regardless for me. He's just playing really well. Jason Day has got to be worth some shares. I would gladly accept the miscut with him uh, to roll the dice if he's sub 5%. I forget. Uh, I, I got to go back and read the article. But Matt Jones over at Rotoviz wrote a column looking at all the percentages of like chalk hit rate. Uh, amongst the certain ranges and i think this was the bet like players are the best at this range like 77 to 83 like if there are chalky guys in there they tend to hit which i thought was i think i think that's what it is i i 
should probably go look That's this up as we talk about it. I'll probably have Matt. I'm going on Matt's show sometime in the next month. So maybe we can kind of flesh it out more because I have real questions about that. But I thought that was pretty cool that you know, if you can break it down, like where does the chalk hit? Where does the chalk bust? Where should you fade the chalk? Where should you go along with it? And it seems like this range has a high propensity to hit versus like the low sevens. I can see that. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure exactly why that would be, but at the same time, it could just be that the caliber of player that gets on a run gets funneled here. And those are the type of guys where, you know, they're the, it's kind of like the break even point is still low enough that there's a lot of room to get there, but they're still good enough players that, I mean, these are some decent names, uh, especially when you're looking at guys who are kind of moving up rather than down. Like day is obviously struggling guys that get in a groove and get up here. They're still pretty good players. So I, I think that's pretty interesting actually. Let's see. Yeah, just just some basic stuff from him. Um, let's see. He has the whole tweet here. Golfers at 20 plus percent hit their ceiling at the same rate of golfers between 20 and 14 percent. Golfers that see a price jump of 18.5 percent have historically done very well. Uh, just in time chalk between 8.4 K and 17 and 7.5 K is completely acceptable. Golfers that hit 13.5% or higher ownership hit their ceilings about 26% of the time in this range. I think he said something there that makes a case for Louis. So, I'm <laughs> so you, you're in, <laughs> I think that's great research. Absolutely. So I'm going to have um, to get, get him on to like really parse this out. Cause it's just, yeah, I'm it's not just smart a, enough to deal with that. Okay. Give me a break, Ben. I go, I'm more on the, if a guy's one and a half percent owned and he's got some volatility to his game, sign me, especially in a field like this with short sample sizes. We've seen some of these guys twice. Some of these guys once, I mean, look how many, you know, Kevin now wins after burning people like Reed was playing bad until he went. These guys can flip it so quickly. Uh, I don't think day. I mean, I just hope he doesn't withdraw. Um, but there's some appeal here for sure. Well, the one that appealed to me, and maybe I'll try to split these guys up, not that you need much of them, because no one wants to play these losers at the moment. Day is one of them. Mm-hmm. Champ is the other one, and Champ's driving has been fine. His approach was fine last week. He lost five strokes putting in one round. Yeah, and and Champ is another one of these guys. He He's not a good putter, but when he putts well, it's dangerously you, well. Like you, know, you know who he reminds me of? J.B. Holmes. Yeah, and... Yeah, JB Holmes. Well, God, JB Holmes. He's not here, is he? Yeah, he is. He's won this tournament twice. Good for him. I just was hoping that he still wasn't here. 64, whatever. We'll talk about that in due time. There are guys like that. Keegan kind of does that too. It's They're not good putters, but when they putt, uh, you're looking at like plus six. Uh, so Champ can do that. You're flying blind. You're probably looking at a, another miscut, but that doesn't really matter when you're talking about top end equity, top 10 percentage, things like that. It, you, you, the upside is still there. You just have to parse it out whether it's worth it. Um, then you have the rest of these sevens, unless there's like you want to go Gooch. Uh, I know a lot of people went Gooch last week. You could ride the form with Norlander if you really wanted to. No. But then you got like Steel, who I mentioned. What's that? Spieth? I'm not going to Spieth, are you? I, I feel like no, I, no. I, I am going to go to Spieth at some point. Travelers maybe... One of those like dinky events where Orn it's going to be very finals. Yeah. Where it's going to be like a, a bit of a weaker field somewhere where you can spray the ball off the tee a little bit. And just hopefully he can get back his chip and magic and we'll be good to go. Yeah. I, listen, I'm sure there'll be a time where I'll jump on. I, I don't think this is it. He just seems wildly overpriced. Like per his betting odds, he should be like 6,600 bucks. 
imagine. I mean, I could. I saw. I put it this way: if you put Jordan Spieth at sixty six hundred dollars this week, I don't think it affects his ownership. God. <laughs> if I start getting one v ones in my life where people are just like Mark Hubbard or Jordan Spieth, that is going to be quite a world. But I get it. Yeah. I mean, how many times? I'd be curious to know how many times over the past, let's say, eighteen months, one v one Hubbard versus Spieth. What do you think? Like the record is between those two. Yeah. I mean, you would assume uh, Hubbard's coming out on top. Yeah, no, listen, Spieth has been broken. It's just the name will always carry some cachet with people. I, I just, I, I'm not going there. As simple as that. I'd rather play what we got. This is, we're starting to get to the range here with all, all the guys that we like. Uh, let's see here. I don't understand. Oh, that's all rounds. Yes, of course, all rounds. It's going to look that way. Let's go past 50 rounds, Spieth versus Hubbard. Hubbard is 25 and 22 against Spieth. That's sad. Yeah, that's that's a burial. And past 24 rounds, 14 to 8 for Hubbard over Spieth that they've played together in the same tournament. I, I always forget to use this tool on Fantasy National, the head-to-head Yeah, tool. it's a very, very great tool. Great tool. It's a, it's a fun one to use just to actually compare them. Do you think Connors gets too chalky to use or just say fuck it and roll with him? I think he's fine. He probably will be a little overrun. To me, if I had to pick one, I would rather have Homa. Um, I just like the way he's playing. He's a putting he's got to fix the driving a little but everything else is good and the putter will come it's he's funny still guy but but it's funny with his driving he's like an evr type of driver where he hits 17 good drives per round and then he puts two in the middle of the lake yeah i mean well evr is a whole different type of shenanigans i know what you're saying though and i I think that's good though. Like I know I'm speaking to this theme though. I would rather have that. Like you just you get a little more variance. You got to avoid the blowups. Homa does have some of that, but he's just playing really consistent. For example, but I like it. How do you, how do you feel about your boy Grio, who's just kind of playing well? Yeah, I I think that people. I mean, I, I I obviously focus on him a lot. I didn't like him last week. I thought the chipping would get him in trouble, and it did. And the ball striking actually wasn't good either. I think it's a fine bounce back spot. I do worry a little like the difference between him and Benny on is that one of the, they're both horrible putters, but Benny on's a great around the green player. I think here that's magnified a lot more. Uh, so that's my one concern. I think he's fine. I just prefer Benny on. Okay. I'm looking at this low range. I, I mentioned that range before and I, I can't distinguish between any of them. I'm going to fade Luke list this week. I think Luke list is going to be very popular. Yes. I don't know if I like him at this course. Uh, as someone pointed out to me, like he plays hard courses. That's where his best results come in. It's not usually like a, not this is like a super easy course, but it's like it leans on the average scale. It leans more towards easy than difficult. Theoretically, his game should set up perfectly for here, but it's Luke List. We know how this works. Yeah, so Luke List is is just counterintuitive with a lot of things. I like him on shorter courses, even though. You wouldn't think that. Uh, I see what you're saying. I, I'm just more concerned that coming off Sunday, he's going to be wildly overowned. And there's four or five guys right next to him that I feel really comfortable with. And, and that's the whole thing. Ben Ann is shaping up to be super chalky this week, which I thought was kind of strange. He did lose eight strokes putting last what? week, but like that's in his range. That, <laughs> that's a more likely outcome, it seems, than him gaining strokes putting. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's like, I mean, that's bad, but it's nothing alarming. That's kind of just another week. Uh, my God, what about, so you, 
I mean, now everyone knows about this guy, but you are truly the first one. You always mention this guy. Obviously, you call him Johnny Question Marks. Cut maker machine. He wasn't good last week. Do you go to him? Johnny yeah. Who? I think this is a much better setup for him. Like he's played well at farmers in the past. Like he makes the cut every year. That course is just too long for him. He does not hit the yes. ball very far at all. It's just, he hits so many fairways that it can kind of roll with it. But I like John Ho a lot and his putting has been bad the past two weeks. And generally he's a pretty good putter. Uh, the approach wasn't great at farmers, but again, it's, it's farmers. Uh, he was horrendous on the greens on the weekend at Amex. I used him a lot that week. And I think he lost over four strokes putting in the final two rounds combined. And he was putting from eight feet every single time. I know because I was shot trackering him. Not that I could watch him anywhere. So Lord knows what he's, he's probably embedding his ball the entire time and like kicking it down the fairway. No one would know because there's no cameras. Uh, But I like him. I'm going to him again. Yeah. I mean, I I had not been on him. I thought last week was a terrible spot. I mean, you just look at this is someone who's been around in all his big time finishes. Mayakoba winner, heritage Wyndham waste man like this is much better fit for him I think the ownership will dissipate a little bit Knox is staring me right in the face I I want to go there the approach has been good I get it I just don't know I'm gonna have a finite amount of shares and it's gonna be for Knox Wyndham Clark Aaron Wise Munoz probably those are the type of guys so on DraftKings Sportsbook, Munoz is 175 to 1 right now. Every other sport, because I can't bet on DraftKings Sportsbook in Canada. It's not available here. On every sportsbook I have access to, he's like 75 to 1. Yeah, that's uh, well, that speaks to the price of uh, odd shopping for sure. But 175 I mean, to 1 is a really good number. For, I like, I'm playing Munoz at 7,100. Um, he's probably my favorite okay. play of all these guys. And I don't want to give away too much because you should become a member at fantasynational.com slash mayo get yourself that discount but in the wind simulator uh i mean the simulator always loves munoz uh it didn't for a while but now he's getting back to that point he's top 10 in win equity this week by the simulator interesting yeah i mean listen this is a guy he had a great 2020 he's a bermuda guy i i like him aaron wise is there and i obviously like him as well don't don't we um, only, didn't we figure out that we only play him at coastal courses yeah we, we did figure that out and then i just I don't This is kind of by the coast. Um, he should be playing in Saudi. He honestly should. Basically, was, a, any tournament that Graham McDowell has won in the past, just play Aaron Wise there. He's the new Chapel Day. He's also honorable mention. Those guys, you met, neither of them ever play well, so we never get to find out. But at Amex, he just couldn't putt. The ball striking is okay. Yeah. He could do worse. I'm looking, I'm, looking, little. I'm looking at Munoz right now. Approach he's gained in seven of his past eight rounds. It's the putting. Like he lost two over two strokes putting in the final round at Sony. I recall that again because I was shot trackering him all day. But come on, make this four foot putt, Seb. No, miss. Thanks. It was like watching Luke List on Saturday, which was just a fucking disaster. Well, that. <laughs> it's not Some like he putted. And it's not even like he putted well on Sunday. He just struck the shit out of the ball and made his four footers. Some of these guys, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I was, uh, Adam's, well, Adam's got actually made his fair amount, but it was just, there's so many of them. Uh, this is where, I, this is another range similar to the high eights. I think this is where, I'm not saying the winner's coming out of, but there's definitely some guys here that are, that are going to be key linchpins. Um, what do you make of Wyndham Clark? I've been playing him a lot. It's been fine. It's been solid, but it hasn't 
been groundbreaking either. So I, if Rom had won last week, I would have won the $100 single entry uh, just straight up. Uh, that's all I needed to happen. But obviously he didn't win. So I ended up coming like 11th, I think, because uh, I needed those win points and to take them away from Patrick Reed. And also in that lineup, I had Wyndham Clark and Brandon Heggie and Will Gordon. <laughs> uh, those were the three guys that I had in it. And Clark, the approaches are really bad. Like he's all driving and all putting. So if you can just get like a, it's funny because we talk about someone like Ben Ann. It's like if Ben Ann could just putt like field neutral, he would win events uh, in some of these weeks where he just strikes the shit out of the ball. With Wyndham Clark, if he could just hit his, it's like the Denny McCarthy type thing. Like if you catch him on one of these putting weeks when he putts well and he tends to putt well, if you can just get a break even week from his fucking wedges, he would be great. He was the first round leader here a year ago and then just gagged it all away. Um, I don't, he's a scorer, which I do like. He's made three cuts in a row. I, I just, I have a hard time saying that I like Wyndham Clark more than Munoz, more than, uh, more than Knox, more than even Adam Long. I don't know why I like Adam Long so much, because he, he burned me at Amex too, but I don't know. Like, there are certain, like, all these guys kind of, isn't this a hard week? Very difficult. Uh, Wyndham Clark, to me, though, is just one of the guys, he does it differently. Um... I know he's not like these guys, but Bryson and Champ, they kind of have. There is a formula. If you if you can really dominate off the tee and make your putts, unless you really are are off, you can mitigate what he does. Which is, and he's been doing it a little. Like he loses on the approach, but it, I'm not gonna say it doesn't matter. But it's not a death sentence. So I kind of am interested in him once again. I wish he could just be a little better with the irons, of course. I like him better than Aaron Wise. Well, that's not saying much. Um, Do you have any faith but... in Straka? Because Straka, Straka pulled a covert Luke List last weekend. Like, he was a disaster to end Super. Friday. Almost missed the cut. And then he was like six over on Saturday. But then I think he was like seven. I think he had the round of the day on Sunday and no one noticed. Yeah, it was like, yeah, a quiet 65. The problem I have with Draka is that he's doing exactly what Wyndham Clark is, except his strength of his game is the iron. So it's like, I don't know what to, to think is like his short game is not good. His around the green game is not good. Yeah, but he is he is a type of player, almost like you talk about with like the putters, whether it be Keegan or Champ, that when they gain, they gain it bunch with their putter he tends to be relatively even like he gains putting more often than not but he's a huge swing either way like last week he gained four the week before he lost three and a half at rsm in three rounds he lost five and a half the week before in houston he gained six and the irons work exactly the same way like at the amex in three rounds he lost four and a half strokes on approach three last week the tournament before it's only gained four gained four gained seven like he's just a weird outlier player and it's never really all matched up in the same week that it feels like there's win equity with him somewhere at one of these tournaments. I'm not, I'm ne I no idea where it's ever going to happen, but he feels like at his price point that he's, I don't want to call him like a good blind bet all the time, but if he's going to be constantly like 200 to one, it feels like he has, he does everything well enough at different times throughout his stats. When you look at them, that it feels like they're all going to match up and he's going to be really good. One of these weeks, almost like when Carlos Ortiz won in Houston. Yeah, I mean, there there is one guy on tour that I say this about more than anyone, and it's Dylan Fratelli. Like, and the week that he that, won was the week that he just putted the lights out. Like, he randomly putts crazy. He gets crazy hot with the iron. Some like sometimes on like just Sunday. Uh, great driver. That type of thing. It's the problem is what you just said. 
it is so hard to predict when it's all going to align and you kind of have to buy in like a macro way and just say like, I'm going to play 10% of this guy for two months, no matter what. And you just see what you get. At 7K, Hoffman and Laird have both made the cut each of the past five years. Might be even more than that. I'm just looking at the past five years. Hoffman is now withdrawn from two consecutive tournaments. Obviously, no (laughs) one's going to use him. Would you use him or is that just bird lighting your money on fire? No, I don't think it's letting your money on fire because maybe I'm wrong. I don't think he would have withdrawn if there wasn't the delay last week. I think he just gave up. And the conditions, it being cold and rainy for a guy with a wonky back, probably not great. That I, that could be, I mean, if you want to deep dive into it, it's like never play Bubba when it's raining out. Just don't do it. It's a bad idea Correct. that he's going to give up and just get mad the entire time. And then you have all these guys with the bad backs. Not great. And maybe that's what happened to Jason Day. Just too wet, too cold. He couldn't get loose. We're in Phoenix this week. Should be warm. Should yeah, be great. let's go. Bad back stack. Hoffman Day. <laughs> get, Rom. Tig- get Tiger. Get <laughs> Tiger. Yeah, Tiger, Ch- Chapel, I don't know where he is. So uh, I, I don't think it's insane, but obviously you have to know what you're dealing with. You have to also like him. It's not, You don't get points if he just doesn't withdraw. He actually has to play well. Yeah. What about what about Laird? Because I've actually heard a lot of buzz about him this week. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, this is a guy that he, he's got some, I guess, like desert pedigree, he's, you know, things of that nature, Shriners or whatever. But I just don't... I, Here's another one. His irons, they, they're so concerning to me. And this is a guy that kind of needs that because I, I don't really trust his putting. All right, let's jump into the sixes. Can I just keep playing Will Gordon? He made two eagles coming home on the back nine, still shot over par on Sunday. But those two eagles were nice. Yeah, guys, the, carry, he, the, the thing about Will Gordon is his price is so, like, if, if he was 6,800 every week, I would say I don't really get it. But man, for 63, for a guy that we don't know if he's any good, and that's a good thing, he could actually be good. Um, I get it. I'm just going to keep playing Kyle Stanley, though. Oh, Kyle Stanley. This is the point of his biggest triumph. Yeah, and since that triumph, my God, his course history since that win is mega atrocious. Do you think? I don't know why. I know that we can't really factor this in whatsoever, but with the lack of fans there, like not being the certain atmosphere that you get used to in Phoenix, do you think that's going to? It's going to affect players. Is there any way to figure yes. out who it's going to affect? Like, I feel like it's a good thing for Bubba. <laughs> Probably. I mean, I think there are maybe a couple guys that, one way or another, it could factor in. It will definitely matter, but I tend to think that it's unquantifiable. True. Davis Riley, sixty one hundred bucks. Do you take the shot? I don't. I. He's another corn fairy legend. Yeah. Grayson made the cut last week. Grayson keeps having like Grayson in showdown is not a terrible play because if you go and look by his like round by round stats, he has one amazing round per tournament, and sometimes his next round is even worse than the last round was good. Then he misses the cut. He actually made the cut last week. I don't think he's actually ever missed a cut at this event. You see, he lost nine strokes putting last week. Um, yeah, he's not a good putter. It is over his case. So just over his last five tournaments in general. He's averaging losing three and a half strokes putting. And he doesn't even make the cut half the time in those. One of those was at Amex, where there was only one weighted round. Over his last 10 tournaments, he's losing an average of 2.4. Over his last 20, 2.1. And forever, minus one stroke putting per event. So he's progressively getting worse on the greens. At waste management, he's four for four and made cuts, though, each of the past four years. 
6100 all bombers rom rory grayson combos <laughs> don't hate it uh um, i wish i knew what davis riley did well besides win yeah i mean i don't i i tend to be late on him and john augustine well, Augustine, like, is a real pedigree, the guy, though. He was he was the runner-up to uh, Kenneth from 30 Rock at the U.S. Amateur in 2019. Ogletree, who I played last week, sucked. Yeah, I mean, I, I just tend to wait. Uh, I, I really think too many people want to play these guys. Just give me people that I've, I've seen. I'd rather blindly back Doc Redman um, or Stanley. Stanley's just good, so I'm, I'm back with Kyle Stanley. Let's see. It's been a while for Davis Riley is the problem. Like he had four missed cuts in a row before making the cut on the Corn Ferry Tour at the end of the year. He hasn't played since. When we have two wins last year on the Corn Ferry Tour. It's a good player. I know I have I have no idea how old he is. Let's see here. Born in when well, he played he's twenty four. So he's a younger guy. What does he do well? Where are your stats here? Oh, Panama. Robbie Shelton. That's funny. San Antonio championship he won. Panama championship he won. Those are like tougher courses on the Corn Ferry Tour, I feel like. Like one of some of the harder ones in the wind. Maybe he's, one of, he's a guy to look out for there. Driving distance, 15th on the Corn Ferry Tour. Hits it like 317 off the tee. That's not bad. Okay. No, listen, he could be very good and he could play fine. I just, I if I had to, I would play Will Gordon. I would play Robbie Shelton before I played that guy. You, has Bob Shelton ever had two consecutive good weeks? No, but this could be it. Um, he's another one. When that guy, he scores like a banshee. Um, he also seemingly makes more putt. Like he, I watch his round sometimes, and I'm like, wow, this guy, really good putting. And then he just loses three strokes putting in that round. It, it feels like he's a better putter than it bears out. Maybe uh, that's just me. Keith Mitchell at $6,400, I think, along with Will Gordon, is the type of player that you want here. We're back on Bermuda. Bermuda Keith, always a good sign. I feel like he had a really nice showing. He was 16th last year. Gained over seven strokes off the tee last year. Cannot chip at this place to save his fucking life, but, you know, it's Keith Mitchell. What are you going to do? Uh, But he's going to bomb and gouge. And that can be effective. Like, God, watch Tom Lewis play well. That would be tilting. Tom Um, Lewis made the cut last week, didn't he? I don't know. Tom Lewis is just perpetually frustrating because he, he comes, he, I guarantee you once this year will come out of nowhere uh, and do something amazing, but it, I hope it's not this week. I doubt it would be. When was the last time? Oh yeah. He was second at the WGC last year, wasn't he? It's St. Jude. From the, yeah. And in that his, I don't have it in front of me. I, he was like the last he would have, if there was a cut, he would have been cut by like 10 strokes. And then he shot like 25 under par in two days. I can, it was insane. I can research that for you. Let's see. I remember that vividly. Let's see here. Yeah. Tom Lewis. Yeah. He was 73, 70 the first two days, then 61, 66 on the weekend to come in second to Thomas. Yep. Sounds about right uh like i said if you're going at least this week you have some appeal to go down here because you have good players up top so like there is actually a an appeal to get rory and xander together and then you also want like you know brooks on that team well you can do it with guys down here it's not like some of the weeks where you don't even know what you're paying up for so someone that i had been playing a lot during the swing season I feel like his game is, like, kind of back. He hasn't missed a cut since the Irish Open. 
on the Euro Tour. Irish also, Open. Yeah, that was his first start back post-COVID. And he hasn't missed a cut since. He was T6 last week in Dubai. Patty Harrington is 6200 bucks. Patty. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously built for tougher conditions, but... But just even back, going back and looking at it, like Scottish Open, 14th. Bermuda, 26th. Uh, Houston, 32. Dubai, he was 62nd, but still made the cut. Last week in Dubai, he was T6. If he makes the cut at $6,200, he allows you to get all these top-end oh, yeah. guys. And we know he can putt, if anything. He definitely can putt. I just worry, not worry, I shouldn't say. I just, the scoring is, you know, Shelton, Gordon, Mitchell, T-Dunks. Like Dunk, Dunks almost know. like Siwoo has been awful at this course. But and he's not and that? he's not good. <laughs> that see that could be an issue. Tyler Duncan isn't actually good, but I feel like he should be better than um, yeah, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe he just shouldn't be good anywhere because he's just not that good. I I always root for that guy though. I, I don't know why. I I think he's better than most. He took People my don't. money. I had a double on Webb, and I forget whoever it was. Someone won on the European tour, and I had Webb just to win RSM, and then Duncan beat him in a playoff. Fucking hate yeah, that's Tyler right. Uh, Doc Redman garnering the most ownership in this range, along with Cameron Tringali. Those seem to be the what two. What about Varner? Yeah, people aren't. Varner's like 4%, so I guess it makes him one of the higher-owned guys, but I don't know what to make of him. I don't know if like he's bad now, or it was just a really long layoff. Yeah, I mean, he's just one of those guys. A couple, like a couple different results. It's easy to say this, but you'd find him in the mid sevens. Like he'd be with Sam Burns. Sure. And last week in his one round at Farmers, he lost two strokes chipping and th- over three strokes putting. So that's not yeah. normal for him. No, no, that's uh, hanging out with Grio too much. I guess I don't know. Neesmith played well last week. That guy. That's is he, your. Is he get? Is he getting it back? Getting that juice back? He irons. My goodness. I know, right? Six and a half. Steamy. You know. Okay, I got. I know. I've mentioned a lot of guys. I got one more, and then I'll be quiet. What about Charles? I was watching. I don't know if it was PGA Live or it was like Golf Channel. Charles was on there, and he was playing well. And they they made mention, I think it was at the Sony Open, maybe it was at American Express, I can't quite remember. But the commentator said, with straight face, be like, you got to watch out for Charles Schwartzel, one of the best ball strikers on the planet. That's how he's going to win. And I was like, mm. like wh- where are you finding this information from? Like, Charles is going to gain 12 strokes putting, and he's going to win. That's how he's going to win. <laughs> Most likely. Uh, yeah, I, I hope he becomes the best ball striker on the planet. I don't see that in the crystal ball. He was just, I mean, he did patented Charles a couple strokes around the green, couple strokes putting. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't think you need to go to these guys, but again, if, if you're in, if you fell in that range and you had to get someone, I wouldn't immediately cross Charles off the list. He's been terrible here though. That is a little concerning. Uh, Keegan. I mean, but the model tells me he's the 10th best player in this field. Well, yeah, Keegan model darling. Uh, they but- can't factor in his shenanigans uh the other one who's just been playing well and we'll kind of recap this all at the end just because i mean we're trying to talk about every single player here i just looking at his numbers i don't understand how it's working but nick taylor keeps making cuts and he's like and he's like in it after the second round and then you don't hear from him on the weekend he's another one his 
well, oh my god, his approach numbers are bad. Um, yeah, that. Oh my god. Um, he has played and he's making cuts. I just don't know exactly how he breaks through without fixing the irons. All right, let's recap this for the people because okay. we've talked about every single player. Let's make some real decisions now. Of the 10K guys, our top two, yes. I'm going to say, I want to say, fuck, man, this range is so tough. I'm going to say Xander is probably your best bet for safety. But I'll probably end up playing Justin Thomas Rory teams now that I'm looking at it because I just feel like no one's going to use those guys comparatively to the other ones. I'm along the same lines. To me, Rom is the safest. And Rory would be the leverage if he's if you're getting an ownership discount. Can you get away with Rom Xander lineups? You can definitely make definitely if you, yeah you can absolutely. Uh, of the nine K guys, I'm just kind of stuck on Palmer right now. You like Scheffler? I I like Scheffler. I think I like Burger is great, but he's going to be very popular. And I think Sunjay is someone that I'm going to have to take a closer look at. Remember when were you watching the golf last weekend on Sunday early on when it was like Sung Jae's in second place all of a sudden? Okay, I I thought he withdrew because I scrolled and I was just like, wow, Sung Jae disappeared. He was seven under at the turn, and then he shot like forty something on the back. I don't know what what happened. I think I think he's gotten to that like Rory Rom range where he's like, I'm playing to win. I'm not playing for second anymore. I have enough money. I play every week. Good for him. He's, yeah, play, he's played mean, every week so far. <laughs> it's what he does. He's, uh, I already used him in one and done. Not at the right time. But yeah, he's, I mean, Sunday just does his thing. He's just good. We're back on Bermuda, though. That's always a nice thing for Sungjae. Oh, definitely. Honda. I mean, absolutely. So 8Ks. I think I might just, I really got to figure out what to do with Wolf. Because I think that he could be an excellent play, but obviously he could withdraw at the same time. But Brooks, Ricky, Bubba, those are going to be my three guys. I don't like this range on the whole, so I'll probably be pretty limited. It would be Brooks, Ricky, and Uste. I'm just looking at the ownership right now. The one guy we didn't talk about in the high sevens was Ortiz. Coming off a good week. Played well here last year. Are people like, because everyone wants to play home, everyone wants to play Connors, but like Ortiz is the better player of those three guys. It's another one. He's doing it with the the combination of Wyndham Clark, like really good off the tee, really good putting. His irons have not helped him at all. Uh, it can be done. I just, I'm going to take the chalk in this range because I have a feeling I'm going to be pretty different elsewhere. Well, you also like Jason Day at 7800 bucks. I think a, combina- a combination of Day and Champ or one of those two guys is a huge differentiator. You don't need a lot to get over the field because I think their combined ownership will be 3%. I like those guys. Same. And if you if you use one of them, it's not to say, but you've already leveraged. Then you can kind of just take best available in a lot of spots. So uh, I like lineups like that. I know directly with what I need and where my difference maker is. Uh, from the bottom... <clears throat> And Munoz for me, and you like Wyndham Clark? I do. Um, wise is wise, but you know, I I think that Wyndham Clark and Munoz is probably where I'd go. From the upper sixes, I have actually no one starred from up here. Han is interesting. He was playing well, now he's not playing well, but he tends to play well here. Yeah, he comes out of nowhere too. He's one of those guys. I remember this was a long time ago when he won Wells Fargo from the clouds. Um, I think for me up top, it would be Kyle Stanley. 
the, the glove Charles. The glove, I the glove was almost he almost missed the cut after dominating the south and then went to the north and tried to miss the cut. That's basically what Brooks did last week. <laughs> Insane, but Rory yeah. too. Like Rory played awesome at the south and sucked on the north. Yep. Uh, but from the lows, I got Mitchell, Gordon, Patty Harrington. I have stars next to Davis Riley and Grayson Murray as well. I don't know what to do with those guys. I probably won't use them, but I'm keeping them on the radar for now. Also, Vizagas is 6100 bucks. He also withdrew last week. It's amazing. There was a time where I would say that Kevin Tway would fit this course, but he does not fit any course. Um, Shelton would be the only guy I'd throw in there for me. Okay. All right, we, at least we narrowed down the list a little bit to see how it works. Still, yeah, 100, I'm, guys. I, I'm still trying to from 132 to 100. <laughs> I'm still just trying to figure out where I want to go with lineup construction. Like, is it, does this feel like a tournament to you? Because there's a couple of these for the year, and they're generally the ones where I have the most success at, where I just fade everyone in the 10Ks. Is this one of the, like, is, is this course doesn't feel volatile enough where you're going to get, like, two of those guys missing the cut? Yeah, th- that's the... That's the t- the tricky part because, first of all, it's an easier cut to make. There's not a ton. I mean, there's water and stuff, but there's not, like, massive blowups lurking. So, to me, you're better off in some ways just taking a couple of those guys where it feels like even if they don't play well, you get, like, 18. Then you have four other guys if they don't win to maybe, to maybe bail you out. Uh, I kind of think that's more the prudent play than thinking that some of these guys are just going to completely whiff and miss a cut here. I'm honestly thinking about not making a ton of bets or playing a ton of lineups this week. You got to pick and ch- I mean, I, I've, I've done that a little early in the season. Now that football is over, um, I'll start to rev it up. I wish I played more at the Amex. I would have had it, um, which was very frustrating. But, you know, it comes with the territory. Some weeks it saves you money. Some weeks you wish you had 150. Yeah, it was like that was like the Sony Open for me. Like if I had just played 150 or even just played 50 instead of 25 lineups, I, I yep. would have been looking very good. Yeah, yeah, that was me at Amex last week. I could have played a thousand lineups. It wouldn't have made a difference. <laughs> so yeah, I just I'm not feeling it this week. I, I can't whittle it down. I, I think that's I. I should you always play the same? Should you try to pick and choose your spots? Because it's not like when I feel good about something, I, I you know I'm automatically winning. I still lose those weeks. Like, should I just try to be consistent with it? Like, that's a really hard part about playing DraftKings for me that I can't wrap my mind around. But I'm just not feeling it this week in terms of I have no real lean, like really strong takes on plays or fades. Like, like I said, they all kind of just blend together. I feel like you can make this almost every single way, and I don't want to rake myself by trying to play too many types of lineups and too many guys. So that's the, yeah, that's the dangerous issue with something like that. What I, when I have weeks like that, I try to just allocate, I mean, you can, you can certainly play less always, but to what I try to do is maybe I allocate my contest selection differently. Um, That's one way to do it too. And I feel like I'm going to pick and choose and I'm going to pick and choose wrong by going with it, but it's almost, but it's, it's like you kind of say, like sometimes you try to take all the short hitting guys in one line or you try to take all the make lineups with the longer hitting guys that I might just try to like pick a lane and just press that. And if it hits, it hits. If it doesn't, you know, I'm going to lose this week. Ironically, when I have weeks like you're talking about, I actually tend to be really aggressive, not with the amount that I play, but my core, I pick like two narratives and I try to cover as many of those bases as possible. So I, I open myself up to really get punished, but 
I don't know, in weeks like this, I, I feel like if I start planning for five or 10 different things, even if I hit one of them, I just have like one out. And I, I don't like doing that. I, I tend to actually be like, I'll make, say I made 20 lineups, I'll make 15 and then I'll make my last five just rolling two V2s, um, which I don't tend to do. But in something like this, I'd be more prone to do that. All right. That will do it on the Pat Mayo experience. I feel really bad about the shows this week. Like I, I didn't have any bad. I've made three bets now that people can catch up on. But like I, Jeff and I were pretty inconclusive on the betting show. Feels like we've been very inconclusive on this show. And you know, I don't want to lie to people and just be like, no, I like this guy, but not this guy. Like we're trying to talk it through. But I don't feel like I'm any far. I feel better about the week, but I don't feel like I'm there yet though. But I'm gonna have a live chat tomorrow at twelve, so maybe I can figure it out then. Yeah, sometimes you got to work. I, I'd say, listen, it's it's better to remain up in the air than just push through and force a narrative. Uh, pick a couple things that you like and then say, okay, if I get these right, what's the easiest way to spread this and, and cover the most bases? For me, that's Scotty Scheffler. He is the absolute key to my week. I know that already. He has to play well. So your Scheffler day lineups are going to be looking pretty good? Yeah, yeah, they'll be. I mean, the good thing about lineups like that I most likely will have the weekend to myself. I can do what I want. Won't have to worry about anything. Uh, You're going to find out pretty quickly what I've done here. All right, that will do it on the Pat Mayo Experience. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience. Also do the same for the $100 giveaway on Daily Fantasy Sports Picks and Bets The Mix. I will be doing a one-and-done podcast, which you can find up on Mayo Media Network for the video. But if you want the audio version of that podcast, it'll be up on that feed on Wednesday where I talk through the options. As you can see, I don't really know what to do. I actually have an easier time with one and done this week, I think, than anything else. Where are you going? Do you have burger left? No, just because I've been using the same strategy over and over for one and done. Like I had read last week in the race for the Mayo Cup. I just looked oh. at the I looked at the board. I had Reed and Rory, so on my two teams. But I just looked at the board and said, oh, here are the top 10 guys in the field in terms of betting odds. Here are the three guys that no one that are going to be lesser owned than everyone else. I'll just use them. Like Harris English could be that guy this week. I'm using Scotty Scheffler. Scheffler will most definitely be that guy, but I don't know if he's on that level. Like I, I'm going to try to figure it out in terms of like, who do you think is going to be like the most popular one in the Hideki burger? I think it's going to be Burger. Why do you think it's going to be Burger? I don't know. He's going to be the most popular DraftKings player. Doesn't that correlate? I don't know all of the time. I mean, some people used him, though. That's a fair point. Some people used Burger already. Yeah, it's Sony. Why aren't we just saving Burger? Ricky? I was thinking more like Brooks because... Ooh, really? Very, wow. very volatile. And if people are ever going to use Brooks, they'll save him for like the U.S. Open. They'll save him for a big spot. He's a big game guy, but like he's won here before. Like if he gets the win, I feel like he's a one percenter. Oh, yeah. You're saying people aren't going to use Brooks. I'm saying people will not be using Brooks. No, I don't think they will. I agree with that. I was going to say, I think most people will save guys like that. Ricky, I think people want to get out of the way. Bubba. Uh, Bubba. Yeah, Bubba. So maybe it's a week to attack the top then. Like, are people going to use Rom? Are people going to use Xander? Are they saving them for bigger spots? No, they're definitely saving them, but it's the allure of burning them. Yeah, I mean, you absolutely can do that. You you mentioned it with Reed. Uh, like, if you, if, if you can get I a win, if you can get a win or a second out of your top end guy, I mean, it, it's worth burning him. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's no... 
no doubt about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm opening it up. I've had a, a fine start, nothing special. I had Siwoo. Um, other than that, not great. Scheffler, again, this is just all the eggs are going in that basket. All right, at JazzRazDFS on Twitter, at Awesomeo.com. You can check out his work and over on the Awesomeo YouTube channel as well with the live streams covering all of the sports. It is Ben Raza, not a fan of wrestling, as we found out, but, you know, I'm a fan of old wrestling. Ah, it's a long show. Thank you for talking this out with me. Thank you all for sitting through this and watching. Um, I'll see you next time. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.